Hello and welcome to episode 524 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio. This is the final week of Lucha de Mayo. And I said it right all four weeks in a row. Lucha de Mayo 2021. I'm your writer, host, and producer, Derek M. Cook. Now, during Lucha de Mayo, every year here on Monster Kid Radio, we take a look at luchador monster movies or genre films featuring our favorite luchadors. So we're talking about El Santo, Blue Demon, Mil Mascaris. This year, we did things a little differently because last week we talked about the movie The Batwoman, which is not something I ever would have considered talking about during Lucha de Mayo. Boy, was I wrong. I should have talked about it a long time ago. And I did that with Chris McMillan. Well, Chris McMillan is back this week for a movie that's even more off the beaten track. It is a movie from Turkey from 1973 featuring El Santo. And Captain America, and maybe even a kind of sort of evil Spider-Man. The movie is called Three Dev Adam. And just like Turkish Star Wars, Turkish Rambo, and Turkish any other movies, really, oh, oh boy, it is not an authorized Santo or Marvel film. But it's something that happened, and it features El Santo. And either Chris or I recommended we talk about it this week, so that's what we're doing. That's what you're going to get this week here on the show. Now, Kenny's been taking a much-needed siesta. Is that what that is? A much-needed break from doing his famous Monsters of Filmland look. However, he did send in to us some older episodes of look at famous Monsters of Filmland flashback going back a couple of years when we did another Lucha de Mayo and he sent in some uh, segments about Mexican monster movies and luchador movies being featured in the pages of FM. So you're going to get not one, not two, but three installments of this time around. We're just kind of catching up with what we haven't played yet this month. Brand new content. We've got the beta capsule review from Mark Matsky. And I'm really excited about this one because this episode of the Beta Capsule Review talks about an Ultraman episode that is super important to me because it features the first appearance of one of my, if not my favorite, Ultraman Kaiju. And you'll get to hear a little bit about where his name comes from. You see, his name has a color in it, but he's not that color on the screen. And Mark Matsky's going to tell you why, maybe couple of ideas, a couple of theories, but yeah, you're going to hear a little bit about that as well as the rest of this awesome episode. It's one of the best Ultraman episodes, and I'm not just saying that because it features my guy in it, but anyway, you'll enjoy that. I'm sure we've got that coming up. We've got all the other bells and whistles, the movie trailers, the advertising. By the way, we're always looking for advertisers here on Monster Kid Radio. Drop me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and I'll send you an ad sheet. Very competitive prices. I want to thank all of our advertisers like Stephen D. Sullivan. We'll play his ad here shortly. The music that you're hearing is the same music that we played last week. It is from the band The Nick Adams and the song is called El Santo, the Silver Masked Avenger. You're going to hear the song in its entirety with its lyrics at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. That's all coming up. Everything else is coming up. It's all coming up right after this.
Since the very beginning of time in the Garden of Eden, one of God's creatures has symbolized the darkest fears of man's primitive emotions. It is a creature that is hypnotic, sensual, and loathsome. It is the snake. But not all men have known Stanley. A snake unlike any you have ever seen in a motion picture that will make your skin crawl. Stanley, starring Chris Robinson as Tim, a man who could no longer live among men. Co-starring Stanley, a deadly rattlesnake who shared a bond of trust with a man who had learned to hate. When Tim gets mad, Stanley gets deadly. There has never been a motion picture like it. There has never been an eight-foot rattlesnake like Stanley. He learned that only man kills his own kind. A Crown International Picture rated PG. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just $2, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. With a title like The Monster Anarchy Zone, Episode 8 of Ultraman has a lot to live up to, and it does not disappoint. The zone in question is Tatara Island, which was left uninhabited for two and a half years after a catastrophic volcanic eruption. A four-man advance party was sent to Tatara to reopen an observation station, but after 10 days with no radio contact, the science patrol is enlisted to conduct a search and rescue mission. Emerging from the fog over Tatarajima, the crew encounters the fearsome Red King, who is just engaged in battle with Bat Monster Chandler. Captain Muramatsu cautions against launching a missile at Red King, and instead they land, investigating the station decimated by a kaiju attack. Finding no survivors, the group splits up. Captain Muramatsu and Hayata run into rock monster Magala, who knocks out Hayata in a shower of boulders. Meanwhile, Fuji, Ide, and Arashi follow a red creature through the jungle to a cave, which shelters Matsui, the last surviving member of the advance party. Matsui explains that Pigman, the little red monster, saved his life, and when Red King reappears, Pigman shows just how heroic he can be. If you love kaiju, and why wouldn't you, you'll be dazzled by the Monster Anarchy Zone, which features giant monsters engaged in mortal combat within its first five minutes. 
This is an all-star team of kaiju, beginning with Pigman, who is basically Garamond from Ultra Q, brought down to human scale, Chandler, who is Pegala from Ultra Q, with big ears attached, Magala, whose spiky design has great screen presence, and of course, Red King. Apparently, the golden monster is named Red King because he was originally conceived as the main antagonist of our alien hero back when he was being called Red Man in the early stages of pre-production. So, Red King would be his arch nemesis. A complementary theory suggests that Red King has a habit of causing lots of blood to flow from his unfortunate opponents, which squares with our first impression of him here in the Monster Anarchy Zone. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. tattoos in each pack and more than 40 designs to be collected. Get Ultraman Bubblegum now! Return of the Giant Monsters! Return of the Giant Monsters! Giant Monsters. Hola cabezones de Radio de los Niños Monstruos. Soy Kenny con un vistazo a Monstruos Famosos de la Tierra del Cine. The third part of Monsters from Mexico appeared in issue 124, which features a painting of Germán Robles' Vampire by Ken Kelly on the cover. The article starts on page 40 and goes on for 10 pages and has 16 photos. The article starts without introduction with descriptions of five Santo films, Revenge of the Vampire Women from 1969, Santo vs. Frankenstein's Daughter from 1971, Santo and the Mummy's Vengeance from 1971, Santo vs. Black Magic from 1972, Santo and Blue Demon vs. Dracula and Wolfman from 1972, and The Beasts of Terror from 1972 featuring both Santo and the Blue Demon. Walt Lee then has this to say about women wrestlers in the movies. In addition to the male wrestlers, a group of women wrestlers have appeared in a series of Mexican films, many of which have horror content. The films include Doctor of Doom, The Wrestling Women vs. The Aztec Mummy, The Panther Women, and The Wrestling Women vs. The Murdering Robot. In The Wrestling Women vs. Murdering Doctor, seen on American television as Doctor of Doom, 
Gomar, a human animal created in the laboratory with transplanted organs and the brain of a beast, menaces the heroines. The arch-villain is an evil mass scientist who kidnaps girls for brain transplants. The scientist uses parts of Gomar, a new brain and a female corpse, to produce Vendetta, a telepathically controlled female wrestler. At the end of the film, Vendetta is shot and falls from a high tower. In The Wrestling Woman vs. The Murdering Robot, the heroines encounter a hideously disfigured man. Mr. Lee continues with a detailed synopsis of Panther Women, then mentions a new hero, the incredible Professor Zovek from 1972. In this film, a new superhero is introduced, Professor Zovek. He has acquired his paranormal powers after extensive studies in monasteries in Tibet. The villain of the film is an obsessed scientist who creates vampire-like zombies. His great powers derive from his possession of a strange idol. The article ends with the synopsis of the sequel, Invasion of the Dead, which features Professor Zovek and Blue Demon. Adios, amigos. Hola, cabezones de Radio de los Niños Monstruos. Soy Kenny con un vistazo a Monstruos Famosos de la Tierra del Cine. The last part of the Monsters from Mexico article appears in issue 125 from April of 1976, which featured the new King Kong on the cover. The article starts on page 44, is 7 pages long, and has 12 photos. Walt Lee starts this part with this description of the Guanajuato Mummy movies. The Guanajuato Mummy films are based on a well-known ghoulish tourist attraction of that Mexican state. At least one cemetery in Guanajuato has long required that continuing rent be paid for burial sites. If the rent on the cemetery plots is not kept up, the mummified corpses are exhumed and put on display. Needless to say, Guanajuato has a very dry climate. Admission is charged to visit the catacombs filled with the mummies. There have been several films made about the Guanajuato mummies coming to life, most of them in color. The first of the series was simply called The Guanajuato Mummies. In that film, the wrestling trio of Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaris battled the revivified mummies. He then briefly mentions two films from that series, The Castle of the Mummies of Guanajuato and The Theft of the Mummies of Guanajuato. The article continues with a report from Eric Hoffman, who describes the Spanish-Mexican co-production The Return of the Walpurgis Night, which stars Paul Nashi. FM editor Forrest G. Ackerman finishes the article with a look at the Mexican films Boris Karloff participated in at the end of his career. An article on Mexican movies may seem a strange place to find the late Boris Karloff, but his final four films were Mexican-American collaborations. His scenes in these four pictures were shot back-to-back, -back, in color, over a period of five weeks in 1968 in studio facilities called Hollywood Stage. <music> 
Borey goes on to mention Fear Chamber, Snake People, House of Evil, and The Incredible Invasion. Borey was with Boris on the set of Fear Chamber, and he had this to say about Carlos' reaction to the script. When the scene was over, Boris Karloff explained to me, This fear chamber is far out science fiction. I have mountains of dialogue. My word, is there mountains to memorize. And I haven't the slightest idea what I'm saying. But who would wish for less dialogue in a Karloff film? Held in the thrall of that unique, unforgettable voice, who would ever tire of listening? FM photographer Walt Doherty was on the set of Carlos's last film, which was a Mexican production. He covered the fire sequence in The Incredible Invasion, which was the final scene of the movie and the scene that rang down the curtain on Carlos's theatrical career, although he was still to be seen a time or two on TV shows made following the Mexican movies. Afterwards, Doherty relates, Carlos made an impromptu speech thanking all the actors in the crew, it was an emotion-charged occurrence, and more than one eye in the group was moist, my own included. The look at Monsters from Mexico ended with this typical, pun-filled look at things to come. And what does the future hold, Mexican monster movie-wise? Southworld, Son of Westworld, Senor Exorcist, Mexicali Rosemary's Baby, the Aztec Mummy Meets the Electric Charro, the Tortilla That Ate Acapulco. Well, one thing we can pretty well promise you, whichever way the enchilada crumbles, five years from now, our Mexican expert, Walt Lee, will pick up the pieces, put them together, and give us his 1980 report on the last five years of new Mexican monster movies. Hasta la vista, amigos. Hola, cabezones de Radio de los Niños Monstruos. Soy Kenny con un vistazo a Monstruos Famosos de la Tierra del Cine. In the first four Lucha de Mayo shows, we examined the four-part Mexa Monster article that appeared in 1976. But that was not the first time Mexican horror films were featured in FM. In Famous Monsters number 29, from July of 1964, there was an article entitled Mexa Creatures, which had this strangely worded subtitle. Dig those crazy mixed-up monsters from south of the border. Here's the lowdown on how below the boundaries, things are down of the USA. Like the articles from the 70s, this look at Mexican monster movies has lists and synopsis of many films, all made before 1964. It starts with this introduction. For some time now, scores of vampires, robots, witches, mummies, and many other horrors have in our neighboring country to the south been out to even the score with us North Americans. However, only the most hep of horror fans have been aware of this invasion, and in this article I intend to tell all, at least all I know, about Mexican fright and fantasy films. 
Unfortunately for those far-gone monster followers who would like to see every creature picture regardless of whether it's in English, Spanish, Germish, or Transylvanialish, most Mexican movies are shown in the USA only for Spanish-speaking audiences. Few are dubbed into English, like the Japanese monster movies, or even given English subtitles. Yet many are made and played in Mexico. The writer continues with quick looks at Misterios de la Ultra Tumba, Mysteries of the Crypt, and the fantasy films Macario, Adam and Eve, and Santa Claus. This general comment follows. Visually, the Mexican horror films show quite a bit of imagination. The monsters are quite as ghastly as those produced anywhere else in the world, and the setting seems to have more atmosphere and character than most low-budget beast pics made in the United States. Another thing to consider is that with this type of film, not being able to understand the dialogue is not necessarily a disadvantage. It leaves a lot to your own imagination. The author then lists different Mexican vampire films and mentions the first mass luchador movies with Neutron. El Hombre y el Monstruo, The Man and the Monster, El Espejo de la Bruja, The Witch's Mirror, El Regreso de Monstruo, The Return of the Monster, El Monstruo Resucitado, The Resurrected Monster, Pepito y el Monstruo, Pepito and the Monster, El Fantasma del Convento, The Phantom of the Convent, and Rostro Infernal, Hellface, all receive brief descriptions before the article ends with a to-be-continued. The second part comes in issue 31 from December of 1964 which dives right in with a synopsis for La Casa de Terror, The House of Terror, starring the comedian Tintan and the beloved Lon Chaney Jr. It goes on to mention several films of Luis Buñuel that feature fantasy scenes. The films Echen Me al Vampiro, Throw Me to the Vampire, El Fantasma de la Opereta, La Venganza del Arrocado, The Vengeance of the Hanged, Orlac, El Infierno of Frankenstein, Orlock, Frankenstein's Hell, Conquista de la Luna, Conquest of the Moon, La Barba Azul Moderna, The Modern Bluebeard with Buster Keaton, El Sexo Fuerte, The Stronger Sex, and El Platillo Volador, The Flying Saucer are also covered. The article ends with an alphabetical checklist of 68 Mexican horror, science fiction, and fantasy films all made before 1964. Monster Kid Radio will never run out of them. Bueno amigos, eso es todo. Nos vemos en la próxima lucha de mayo. Trapped. 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 <laughs> They're trapped. In a whirlpool of shrieking fear. From the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The Brainiac. And it has a friend. She was beautiful, desirable, and not altogether human. The curse of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. But if you live through it, you will never forget the brainiac and the curse of the crying women. How much shock can you take?
the depths of evil comes the diabolic killer of beautiful women. The Vampire's Coffin. See a vampire's body stolen from its tomb. A psycho killer removes the stake so the vampire can again prey on beautiful women. And to complete a double night of horror, a monstrous nightmare of terror, turn loose in a fight to the death. The robot versus the Aztec mummy. They will bring you a night of terror. to see them, but don't come alone. The Vampire's Coffin in an all-new double horrorama show with The Robot versus the Aztec Mummy. Presented in Hypnoscope. To heighten the horror, shock your senses, chill your brain. It could only be shown at midnight. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Okay, are you ready to do this, my friend? Oh, you bet. <laughs> this was just so insane. I hope you're not going to ask me to pronounce anyone's names, because the actors knew. Not even going to try. Fair enough. All right. All right. Well, okay, we'll do this in three, two, one. All right, listeners, uh, you asked for it. Okay, not really. Chris asked. No, actually, I was the one that asked for it. We're talking about <laughs> <laughs> the movie Three Dev Adam, which I've translated, by the way. It is Turkish for we don't understand copyright. <laughs> this, this is what it is. We're talking about the movie Three Dev Adam with Chris McMillan coming back for a uh, follow-up appearance on Monster Kid Radio from last week. Still hanging out in the shadow over Portland. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. And wow, two weeks in a row. That's <laughs> wow. Right? I know. But well, I mean, you know, <laughs> you we're watching Batwoman. You said three giant men, Turkish Spider-Man. I'm like, well, you know, I've always wanted to see that. So are you sure I was the one that said it? Are you sure? Uh, are you sure it wasn't you? I'm pretty sure it was you, but I could be oh, mistaken. Right, I'll fine. have to go back and listen to last week's episode, or um, this week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, oh, it is kind of last week because we're on, you know, we're recording on Monday, but, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get into that. But, uh, you know, in between the last time you were here and this week, what's new in the shadow over Portland? Uh, not a whole lot yet. Although, like I posted last week, it's beginning to look a lot like we're going to have a Halloween this year. You think so? God, I'm hoping so. I'm, I'm I'm putting out the good vibes. I'm keep my fingers and tentacles crossed. I'm knocking on wood stakes, whatever it takes. I will call upon the dark gods to bring us Halloween. I'm that committed to it. Well, I'm in. <laughs> I'm easy. I'm in. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, but no, not much. I mean, it's only been, what, five days? Yeah, it's not been too long. Yeah. Or no, about a week, about a week when we recorded Batwoman. And I appreciate you committing to doing this and and sneaking in because I knew you had things going on the weekend and, you know, just I know it was a thing to get in on time. So I appreciate it. Oh, it it was a movie I had on my watch list. It's like, got to see it. And then the place where I was going to watch it dumped it. But then you found it on YouTube. And yeah, it was. Huh? Oof. Oof. (laughs) That's all I've got to say. Oof about the movie. Thank you for listening to Monster Kid Radio. Have a no. That's right. <laughs> I yeah, it was it was something. It was it was a glorious something. Yeah, uh, this is going to be another one of those reviews or, or or episodes where we have a lot of fun with the movie, but hopefully not at the expense of the movie. There's going to be a lot of giggling and laughing through this one because the absurdity level on this one is pretty high off the charts. It it's gone. There is no chart for it. It's like. It's something. Okay, look, I love watching low-budget movies. I love watching movies that people put out. They're trying to make a good movie. I don't think anyone sets out to make a bad movie. I think everyone tries. But when you have a limited budget and everything like that, maybe limited actors and all that, not everyone can be Roger Corman or or William Castle or Bird Eye Gordon. Not everyone can take... A little amount of money and make it look gorgeous. Some people just manage to put a film together, but this one, for some reason, just the sheer enthusiasm of the cast carries it. Man, they are so committed to this here. They are so committed to the, I mean, Oh, no, I guess you kind of have to be for the absurdity that you have on screen. They're taking it so seriously and having so much fun. Yes, they are playing it straight. But still, there's a point where it's just like, we're making a movie. Let's go. Right. Um, Yeah. To be fair, to be honest, if you and I stumbled across a Captain America and a Santo suit, the fit, you know, we'd be putting it on and shooting something. So, I mean, I I don't fault them at all. (laughs) I don't fault fault them at all. No, and they actually... Pulled it off, which is the absurd. (laughs) Well, putting aside copyright uh, infringement, putting aside low budget, they actually made a really entertaining film. It's not like one of those films where it's like they have way too, you know, there's padding in the movie. Of course there is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's not like some films where it's just obvious they're just padding this thing out because. They didn't have enough of script, you know, like Death Curse of Tartu. You know, they have that scene where the guy's walking through the swamp and the snake's following him that goes on forever. <laughs> no, there's a little padding in this, including puppets. <laughs> oh, did you see that? Uh-huh. Um, I watched this movie this morning. It is fresh in my memory. 
I mean, there's a little padding in it. That's fine. But they just, I mean, we don't even have to wait 10 minutes for the first fight scene. You don't have to wait very long for anything to really happen in this. And before we get into it, uh, just to kind of make sure people know what page we're on. We're talking about a movie that was made in Turkey. It's from 1973. And we're talking about it during Lucha de Mayo because... El Santo is a character, completely unauthorized, completely not played by Santo, but Santo is a character in the film. So that's why we're talking about it here on the show. And it is something that we've talked about the copyright issues. It's basically Captain America and Santo teaming up to go fight evil Spider-Man. I don't know how much more you need. (laughs) Pretty much. Although I will say I don't consider it really Spider-Man because they always call him the spider that's true. That's true. Now, his suit makes him look kind of like Spider-Man. The color's off, but the spider emblem's there. He's got some massively cool, wicked eyebrows. I was going to say, I don't think Peter Parker had eyebrows sticking out of his Spider-Man mask. But, wow. Yeah. Those were Yeah, they, they call him the Spider-Man. Uh, excuse me. They call him the Spider quite a bit. Uh, I don't think they ever call him Spider-Man. He doesn't have Spider-Man superpowers. No, nothing Nobody's like that. got superpowers. Uh, even Captain America doesn't mention the super soldier serum or anything like that he just wears the costume because it's bulletproof right and he doesn't have a shield no shield yeah right and el santo is going through most of the movie without his mask on so you know this is obviously they just took popular characters for their audience and just put them in there and we're like yeah who's gonna sue us apparently no one (laughs) Well, at that point, too, you got to think about, and, and I think you and I already kind of expect this, it's 1973. It's a movie that got released in Turkey. Only. Did it end up anywhere? Like, it wasn't until years later, I'm sure, that it found out I think out there was it. a release in Germany at a film festival, but that was about it. Yeah, it's not like it is now. You know, it's not like it is where somebody puts out a film in... Taiwan, and we don't find out about it until after it goes to Khan, if you're lucky, or South by Southwest, and then maybe it's online. You know, it's not like it's not even like that. Yeah. You know, this is a, a lot of the movies in that market were produced and released and distributed in that market in that part of the world that was cut off from the Hollywood machine. Yeah, and they didn't care. They were just making low yeah. budget movies for their audience and doing what they thought would bring people into the theater. And I love that. I talk a lot about on the show regional filmmaking, and and typically that refers to the low-budget filmmaking that happened here in the States. Mm -hmm. You know, you had, uh, like, The Evil Dead is probably the most well-known example of, like, regional horror, low-budget filmmaking. But we were just talking a second ago. You mentioned Death Curse of Tartu and all the films that guy made. Yeah, William uh, Graff. Graff, yeah. Graffy? Graffy, yeah. But all the movies he made in that particular area. The movie, one of the movies we've talked about here on the show, Zat, oh, yeah. regional horror film. You know, Don Doler, regional horror filmmaker. You know, and I'm fascinated by these films that are produced with Hollywood equipment-ish outside of the Hollywood system. Mm-hmm. So you get things like The Evil Dead that has a completely unique point of view. You get things like The Death Curse of Tartu or, or uh, Sting of Death, which I adore. Oh, God, you know, I love that movie. Like that. Oh, yeah. Or even Zat I love, mm-hmm. with the exception of one 30-second segment of that movie. I love that movie from start to finish. But this one takes it to an extreme. And I'm real curious to know more about 
what filmmaking, especially genre filmmaking, was like in other parts of the world, especially in the 60s and 70s when cameras started getting out to the market like this that could actually make a film. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, nowadays, and, and we've got some regional filmmakers here. Look at Joe Sherlock down uh, south. I was going to go there. Mm-hmm. He's, he's cranking out great films. There are filmmakers all over, and, you know, it's it's nice to see regional stuff, and it's nice that we have an internet where people can put it out and have it shown. But, yeah, this one probably... I did some digging. I couldn't find it, but I would love to know the history of how it got here. All right. I want to cut in here while I'm doing the edit. Since I recorded that with Chris, I discovered that at one point this movie did have a DVD release in Greece. Now, I can't find much information about how to get my hands on it, if there are any copies of it available anymore, when it was released, or anything like that. But apparently, a distribution label called Onar Films released this movie on DVD, complete with an interview with the director, an interview with one of the actors, or actually, it looks like a couple of the actors and the writer. There's a number of other pieces of uh, special features on here, some, looks like, uh, some trailers and that sort of thing. And supposedly... All the interviews have English subtitles. Only 1,200 copies of this was made available. Again, I don't know anything about this Onar Films. I tried to find them online. I didn't have much luck. If you, listener, have access to or know anybody who's got their hands on this or, or knows how to get a hold of it, what is that, knows how to get a hold of it, man, I am so interested to get my hands on a copy of it as well, so... Just thought I'd throw that out there. Back to Chris and I giggling our way through the rest of this episode. Yeah, uh, this one, uh, the Turkish Star Wars. I think there's a Turkish Rambo. You know, how did these movies finally break out of their region and make it to a more worldwide audience? Even if it's just a cult film like this one that I'm sure a lot of people probably know very little about here in the U.S. They probably know more about Turkish Star Wars than anything else, if they know about any of these movies at all. Mm-hmm. So I'd be real curious to learn more about it because it is a country that speaks a language I don't understand or can read. It's going to make it even more difficult, I think, for a lot of us Americans over here to learn more about it. Yeah, there, there are there's more like review videos about it on YouTube than anything else. Mm-hmm. And trying to do research, man, otherwise, it's pretty tough. Everything's always a review, you know, blow by blow description of what happens in the movie. They make a few jokes, ha ha ha. But it's like, I would love to know, okay, the puppet scene. I want to know why that was in there. Was it a mess up? You know, they just put in the wrong film and went, eh, whatever. Cause that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> or was it like, um, like okay, there was the one Blue Demon Santo film where Santo is dating a woman. You know, he's not married, but he has a son. And there's like this five-minute scene where you get this kid's background. You know, the Blue Demon adopted him from an orphanage. But that was there to make sure that the audience for that film, you know, Mexico's very Roman Catholic, understood that, nope. It wasn't a child born out of wedlock. He went and adopted a a child out of the orphanage. Mm -hmm. And maybe the puppet thing was something like that. I don't know. If anybody does, please let me know. I'm curious. But if it's just someone gotten a hold of them, there's a part of me that just sees this editor doing two different movies. You know, he's doing Three Giant Men and he's doing some kids movie. 
and he's editing the scene between the spider and his girlfriend, you know, in the bed doing the, and just mixes up footage. I wanted to know what ended up in the kids movie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's that I sometimes talk about the DIY aesthetic that I respond so well to here on the show. Oh yeah. And you know, if I were to try to explain what I mean by that to somebody who doesn't know me, you know, you can see the filmmakers fingerprints on here. You can see where they were putting things together so much. So uh, the YouTube transfer that we watched, you see the real change. And I'm not just talking about the little burn-in circle in the upper right-hand corner to show where the real change took place. You see the tail end of the film go through with the little handwriting and everything uh, yeah. as the real plays out. So, I mean, you see that on here. So that's DIY right there, man. That's the fingerprints of the filmmakers or something. Yeah. I don't know. I thought maybe that was some sort of editing thing where they had... Eh. I, I don't know, but it was just like, what the heck? Oh, my gosh. Look at that. Oh, God. Okay, you're right. We're going to have fun with it. But this was so entertaining. I mean, I was never bored. May have been confused, but never bored. (laughs) (laughs) There was that. There was that. Um, And and for the record, Spider-Man does not look like Tom Holland. Um, Captain America does not look like Chris Evans and Santo does not look like Santo. None of them are built this way. You only have their word for it that they're Captain America and Santo. Yeah. But I think of all of them, Santo's costume looked the best maybe because it's the most minimal. Well, but yeah. He had the cape down just right. He did. And, uh, when he goes after the, uh, goes into the karate dojo and just tosses his cape aside as he leaps to the ground, this guy was committed to making that look good. Oh yeah. There was no there was no halfway point. This guy made it look good. Yep. Which is amazing. Is there a plot to this movie? I want to get to that, but I want to talk about the opening of the film because this is not <laughs> oh, what I expected. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, I've had a couple of people send me messages on Facebook and I think I got one on email or maybe a comment was left on YouTube. Bottom line is I had a few listeners get a hold of me and tell me that it didn't just rip off Captain America and Santo and Spider-Man. It also ripped off James Bond. Yes, it did. The opening credit music. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, I saw Turkish Star Wars. I've shown it on the stream. I know they ripped off music too. So I was expecting it. But then the way it starts on YouTube, it just dives right in. And I expected that maybe somebody wanted to get around the YouTube algorithm and didn't include the opening credits. No, what we saw was an opening credit scene and then we get to the opening credits. But the opening credit scene... Man, I hope that actress made it out alive because I don't think safety standards are really high over there. You know, I I saw that and I had that same thought. There are a couple of shots where her face is right right next to that onboard motor. Okay, we should explain. The opening scene is the Spider-Man burying a woman up to her neck in the sand And then basically taking a boat, starting the motor, and shoving the prop in her face. Yeah. That's, that's your, there's, why is he doing it? What did she do? Who is she? Does it matter? Apparently not, because they don't go there. We don't see the blades hit the face. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. But we do see blood splatter. On the spider's girlfriend legs, who. Who seems to be really enjoying this. Yeah, she has no problem. (laughs) Um, but I'm just watching this going, and yeah, you had the same thought, because there's a couple scenes where that prop is right next to her nose, it looks like. 
oh my God. You know, here's an aside. I think about this and you're talking about regional filmmaking, international amateur films, and it makes me wonder if the world wasn't as connected digitally and international, you know, through the internet and all that, the way that it is now, if we'd be seeing something similar to this in uh, Africa with the Wakaliwood movement. Oh God. Are you familiar with the Wakaliwood movies? You, okay. you, you've sent me links to some of those uh, trailers and it's like, Oh my God, I have to see this. Now these, this is stuff that's happening now. And I watched a documentary with one with like probably the best known Wakali filmmaker, Wakaliwood filmmaker. I can't remember his name and I apologize, but you know, you talk about safety precautions. They didn't use fake blood for any of their action scenes. They went to the slaughterhouse <laughs> um, and, and got blood that way and only figured out that they needed to start using fake blood when people started getting hepatitis. <laughs> so, yeah, safety probably isn't very high on the list of, of some priorities here. Oh, my God. Um, I'm, I'm, pardon me. I'm, yeah, okay. I had to calm myself down. I'm, I was drinking iced tea and almost shot it out my nose when you said that. Right? I, I, I no. When I saw that, when I heard that, I'm like, what? And then, you know, you see back in the 70s, Turkish filmmakers are shoving onboard motors right up to a woman's face. Yeah. Like, Come on, man. That's uh, awful. Uh, yeah. No. Well, of course, and then Bruce Campbell's always written about how what was oh. um, th- they were doing the um, proof of concept? Um, oh yes, and he had to spit out latex paint. <laughs> yeah, you know, he had uh, to have it in woods. his mouth and then spit it out into the woods. Or oh, I forget. Yeah, the, within the woods. I within the woods. Called. Yeah, within the woods. Yeah, I've read stories about how they used to keep the scleral contact lenses in coffee, so they would get the caffeine kit because they would stay up all night shooting. <laughs> oh, God. Like, oh my god that one i hadn't heard that's thank you hey the more you I don't know. know if it's true but boy but then let's get to the soundtrack okay yeah so after this we get to this opening credit sequence which you know they almost kind of sort of make it comic book panel-y yes kinda. i thought so but it's obviously john barry's thunderball score <laughs> Is it Thunderball? I couldn't remember which one people said it was when they were contacting it, me. Uh, it was Thunderball because I'm listening to it going, I know that. That's Thunderball. I mean, it's not the Tom Jones opening song, you know. No, it's the instrumental stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, oh my God, that's Thunderball. And they sprinkle it throughout the movie. Yeah. You know, it's not just the opening credits, they've got hints of it playing out throughout the film. I only noticed it a couple of times early on because I think I just got so caught up in the craziness of that film. I just went, well, whatever they can put whatever music they want. Oh, wow. So yeah. Well, anyway, (laughs) uh, Captain America and Santo go to Turkey to fight the spider because apparently the spider is Dealing artifacts, selling them low, letting them go to auction for a really high price, buying them back or something. I don't know. It sounded like rubbish. It didn't make any sense. No. It didn't make any sense. Because the way they described it, it made it sound like he was in this scheme but had it totally backwards. Exactly. Buying antiques low, letting them like, – or selling them low and letting them go to – I don't understand. I, well, but there's a scheme of some sort involving antiques and money. Yeah, he was selling them low to people, allowing them to be bought high with counterfeit dollars or something. Yeah, there was counterfeit money involved. That's right. That's right. But it's like, 
man, there's an easier way to be a criminal and make a buck. That's the most ludicrous thing I ever heard. But, you know, whatever. And they quickly, at the very beginning of the film, do they make it pretty clear? It's not the mafia. We, we figured it out. It's not the mafia. Yeah, because the spider's okay. stabbing the mafia guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Why? They needed to make sure we understood that it's not the mafia. I don't know if they were afraid. Maybe they had mafia money to make the movie. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But they were really clear. Not the mafia. It's We've the already spider. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and there's some reason Santos there. I don't remember. It's just, it, it, it's this exposition dump that goes so quick. And then we cut to a fashion show and Captain America's girlfriend, I think, gets kidnapped, and she gets them to the bad guy's lair, and then Santo and Captain America go and kick butt. In the first of many fights. Yeah. I, okay, let's be honest, the choreography for these fights are just, you know, hey, throw a punch and you fall down. But there are flashes of brilliance. Did you catch the scene where Captain America pulls the guy's coat off his shoulder so his arms can't move, picks him up onto a table, punches him. The guy jumps off the table, snaps his arms up so his coat goes back on and keeps fighting. The choreography is very interesting in this, and that was cool. That was really You did cool. see that. I did see that. Because I'm watching it going, all we need is a biff, pow, out. <laughs> and we're in Batman territory at that point. And you've ripped off everyone from James Bond to marvel to el santo might as well go for batman you know that was cool there's also the scene i can't remember where they were so i'm gonna be honest okay full confession here folks i watched this this morning knowing that chris was gonna give me a call when he was ready and we were gonna go ahead and do this recording i stayed up way too late last night (laughs) watching army of the dead on netflix uh and i didn't get to bed until really late so i got up early to watch this movie Got about halfway through it and dozed off. Woke up, realized I had dozed off, backed up again. And this happened like two or three times through the film. Now, I didn't miss any of the movie and I wasn't t- it wasn't the movie that put me to sleep. It was the Army of the Dead experience from the previous night that put me to sleep. But what I'm getting at is that because I went back and started it over, over and over and over again, there are some scenes that I saw multiple times <laughs> to make sure I didn't miss anything. And there was a fight scene where Captain America grabs a, a pipe uh, that's running near the ceiling and like pulls himself up and slips his legs through. Oh, and now God, he's suddenly yeah. upside down fighting. And then like, <laughs> what? Oh yeah. That's I awesome. forgot about that. That's awesome. It makes no sense. It's no, it, it's, it's terrible fighting moves in, in a sequence. Yeah, but no, it's great. I loved it. I, I mean, <laughs> and, and you know, the people doing the fighting scenes were so energetic. They were so invested. They were like, we're going to make this the best dang fight we ever, you know, we're going to make it the best fight scene ever. It was a lot of fun. And you said very energetic. I was a little surprised. I would be surprised to find out that nobody actually got hit because they were so into it. Oh, I'm sure a few of them did. Yeah. I don't know how the stunt safety was at this point in Turkish. Uh, well, film let's talk about practices. the propeller bit. <laughs> you can yeah. tell what the safety standards were. Good point. But, I mean, it's not great choreography. It's not a great fight scene. You know, I mean, you can see better. But it's so energetic, and they try so hard. 
And they're doing so much. I mean, like I said, pull off the coat, pick him up, put him on the table, punch him. He gets off the table, snaps his coat up, and punches back. Yep. Who would have thought of that? I didn't. I wouldn't. I, I, yeah. It was brilliant. Oh, God. No idea. You know, I mean, and, and not only that, they knew what the audience wanted. Fights. So we've got Santo going after this one person who's connected to the spider, hiding a whole lot of paperwork in his tidy-whitey suit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, seriously, he's stuffing a bunch of paperwork down in his shorts. It's like, oh, man, really? That's got to be uncomfortable. And (laughs) And then to get out, he has to go through a karate dojo that the bad guy owns. Why not? Why not? I don't I don't see the problem here, Chris. I had absolutely no problem. I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And it was. It was fun. You know, I don't think <laughs> any of those guys knew anything about karate other than what they might have seen in a Bruce Lee movie. But damn, they did their best. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? For the reality of the movie, it made perfect sense. Yeah, it really <laughs> did. There are movies that you watch and you just kind of sit there and go, oh, man, this is a slog. This movie just flew by for me. I had, Yeah, me too. It was so much fun, even though it made no sense. Like, have you figured out why every time either Santo or Captain America vanquished the spider, another one would pop up? No, I didn't figure that out at all. And, and that was actually something that I thought I missed when I started dozing off the first time. I'm like, but but what about I don't I don't understand. <laughs> I'm like, what? It, I don't I, I went on the internet, I looked at the reviews. I don't think anyone else knows. Is it multiple spiders? Is it he can replicate himself? Because yes. okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, it is. It's all of these things and more. I don't know. <laughs> and it's just so much fun because every time he shows up, he runs into the camera view, you know, after Captain America or Santo, you know, take care of him, he runs into camera view and and runs off and it's like (laughs) wow that's that's what a five year old would do playing with their Captain America toys but it's glorious it's so good yes it is yes it is sir oh my oh my it's just so good I loved it I I had a blast it was Okay, my only disappointment with this movie yeah. is that El Santo never had a fight scene with the spider at the end. It was all Captain America versus the spider. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, if that's my only complaint, well, and also, of course, they were talking about torturing a guy with mice, which was supposed to be rats, and they ended up being guinea pigs, which is the biggest blunder on rats since the wasp woman. <laughs> yeah, you know where I'm talking about. Uh huh. <laughs> oh yeah. Other than those things, that movie was just so much fun. Oh my god! If you get bored, and you you might. Yeah, you might. Just just hang out for five minutes because they're going to move to another fight scene, or they're going to move to another scene where Captain America has to get out and change into his uniform, or they're going to go to the dojo, or you know, it's just it moves really quick. You don't get too bogged down. I stuff. was actually surprised. Or they go to the um, burlesque show. Oh yeah, did you yeah, expect that? Know. 
absolutely not. Yeah, all of a sudden. <laughs> well, and it's like, okay, so they're just teasing because it's this woman doing a, a burlesque-type strip tease behind a round sheet of paper on a frame. And it's like, well, okay, you know, maybe that's all they can do. No, she busts through the paper, tassels and all. It's like, well, all righty. And Hello. <laughs> why that becomes relevant? Well, because it's part of the Spider's underground network and Captain America's girlfriend is posing as a burlesque performer to get into that. We don't ever see it. Sometimes it felt like they were making things up as they went. No. <laughs> I mean, it's like. You don't say. <laughs> it's like, let's do this. Let's. Oh, hey, let's do this. It was. It was glorious. I, I, okay. Once again, I want a DVD of this. I want a good version. I want to be able to pop this in when I've had a really lousy day at work and just bathe in the sheer insane joy that is this movie. And I know they never will because yeah. I'm sure Marvel will not let this stand. Oh, oh, no, no, Marvel, <laughs> Disney, Disney is not somebody to trifle with when it comes to their trademark. But man, I would so love, I don't even care if it's a good version. I don't care if they clean it up. In fact, don't. There are some movies that just look better the way they are. Don't take out the bad editing mistakes. Don't take out the puppets. Just let it go. And I would buy it i would oh yeah take my money oh man the puppets i don't even like what was that <laughs> I, I i saw that and i'm like what the heck I mean, why, why what, i don't i don't get it why what, is that what, like what? I, like i said i think the guy mixed up um two films he was editing one was a kid's show with puppets and the other one was this and i would love to know what happened with the footage that ended up in the kids show <laughs> i don't think that happened i really don't but i'm going with it because it makes me smile <laughs> oh man Oof. wow what did we watch <laughs> i was committed to this movie man this one it, it had me you know it, it had me from the very beginning. The first scene with the boat propeller, I was like, what the heck am I watching? Is this like Dr. Blood MD? You know what I mean? You're putting a propeller in someone's face. Yeah. It's like, what the heck? Thank God you mm -hmm. didn't show it. Cause well, you know, I mean, I've seen special effects. That's fine. But it's like, I thought this was going to be, and then they rip off Thunderbolt and I'm like, Oh, I think we're in for something really special. now." <laughs> <laughs> and then, it just got gloriously insane. Oh, my God. Thank you for suggesting this. I thought you suggested it. I thought you suggested it. I thought it was you. Well, thank me for suggesting it. No, I think it was you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to take responsibility for this, man. <laughs> so the movie's short. It's, it's 81 minutes long. Or if you're like me, it's about four hours long. Um <laughs> You keep falling and asleep. As long as you don't fall asleep, yeah. It's just under 90 minutes. Uh, it doesn't feel like it. If, even though I was dozing off uh, a few times and had to go back or whatever, it still felt like it was a shorter film. Oh, it, it does not stop. I mean, you've got your moments where they have to have the exposition dumped. But for the most part, oh my goodness, it just 
it just moves. I mean, it really, really goes. There's no downtime. You know, you get a couple of bits where, you know, you have to set up, you know, I mean, everyone has to set up a plot, but then mm-hmm. it just runs. I mean, like I said, you know, most action movies, you got to wait a while for the first fight scene. Nope. Nope. Not only are we putting a propeller in someone's face, but we're going to have a fight scene in 10 minutes. Guaranteed. <laughs> That propeller, man. Now, even though that's there and it's bloody, it's pretty bloodless until the very end. Then there's a little bit more blood, but not much. Yeah, let's let's be honest. Um, this is PG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could because of the blood and the burlesque. Yeah, yeah. You could easily show this on TV. So don't think we're talking about something ultra violent. No, no. It's just I don't remember which who it was, Captain America or El Santo. Uh, they're taking a shower in their underwear. Yeah. That, yeah, that was... Uh, I was like, I don't know if this is a regional thing or... Yeah, I mean, it, it, let's be honest. The guy had a pretty good build on him, so maybe they're just like, well, yeah. we're going to show off as much as we can, and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a copy of Batwoman. If I could get a copy of this, even without subtitles, it doesn't need it. it so... It, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It really doesn't. You just accept the roller coaster ride and just go with it. It it's just I'm saying it's brilliant in a way that I don't think the filmmakers intended. But it's a it's it's fun. If you watch it, you'll have a great time. If you're watching with a bunch of friends who have similar tastes, you're gonna have an even better time. It's great. It is. Now, I would like to point out that uh, it was something that I discovered after we spoke, Chris, but before I released last week's episode, that Batwoman is on Blu-ray. I don't know how the transfer is, but it is available as a double feature with, um, I forget the other movie, but it is something you can pick up on Blu-ray. I put a link in the show notes to the Amazon link uh, for last week's episode, and I'll do it again this week as well. So if you're going to pick it up on Blue listeners, please use that link because it helps out the show, and you'll get Batwoman on Blu-ray, which, you know, you got to have. Um, 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 yeah, I'm going this back and one, getting the show notes. Um, this one doesn't have a release of any kind that I have found that's legitimate. I would be willing to bet the reason it's no longer on Amazon Prime is because somebody at Disney or somebody came sniffing around or maybe even the people who own the El Santos rights. You know, there are people that own that as well. You know, who knows? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was a rights thing. Or Amazon's just like, yeah, uh, this one's not good enough. We're going to pull it. Because well, they've been doing a lot of that too. I've, so noticed, I've noticed that. I mean, um, they've been dumping a lot of great bad movies. And this was one of them because, good Lord, how can you not enjoy this movie? I mean, <sighs> it's fun. Okay, that's yeah. all I'm going to say about that. It's fun. Just watch it. It's brilliant. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a strong word, but, you know. Well, it's, <laughs> it's brilliant, like I said, in a way I don't think the filmmakers intended. It just turned out that way. It's one of those movies that teeters on being a hot mess or just being absolute fun. And somehow they were able to make it absolute fun, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I mean, it could have been a wreck. It really could have been a wreck, but, oh, man, they made it so much fun. <laughs> they made it yeah. so much fun. Yeah, sure. And so Batwoman on Blu-ray. Well, I know I'm going for the show notes after this. 
Because <laughs> I need Batwoman on Blu-ray. <laughs> because the world's a better place with these movies. You know, it really is. Uh, you know, I, and I catch some flack, not from the MKR crowd. I think most people know me at this point mm -hmm. and have a lot of very, very similar thoughts. But a lot of the movies that I love are considered bad movies by a lot of folks. And you know what? I don't. I don't think that's the case. I don't think, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase Mr. Lobo, the horror host. There are no bad movies. They're just misunderstood. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's goofy. It's silly. It's impractical, but it's a blast. And no, it's not your traditional luchador movie, but I'm glad we did it for Lucha de Mayo. Uh, next year we will do some more traditional luchador movies this time of year, but I think this is a fun one to end on for this year. Anyway, I had a blast with it. Chris, thanks for coming back to do this. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this was... <laughs> this was... This was. You said this, and it's like, okay, let's go. And oh, oh, it was man. so worth it. So worth oh, it. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a trip, man. Oh, what yeah. What a trip. I don't know what else to say. Go watch it. Well, <laughs> that's our movie. That's Lucha de Mayo. Uh, and that's Chris from The Shadow Over Portland. As we said last time, it is the number one resource for finding anything that's going on in the Pacific Northwest that could be genre-related. I recommend it. It's a site that I go to all the time, even though I'm not you know, going out and doing stuff these days. Well, who is, really? <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, too. Yeah. Uh, but I'm always going there. I'm always checking out to see what's going on in the world, and Chris keeps everybody up to date. And it's not just a dry... Here's a calendar. This is what's going on. No, Chris has got a, a nice style when it comes to delivering the information. And I think listeners will dig it. Well, thank you. Thank you. There will be a link in the show notes, of course, if it's, you know, I think I said this last time and I don't remember looking, but it should be in the permalink section. Uh, if it's not, it is, it will be, but I also try to put a link in the show notes. So yeah, I check that out that. and throw, throw Chris some love. Yeah. And um, I think it's time to go, Yeah, watch this movie again. Just for the heck really? of it. Um, yeah, before I go to sleep, because I had a really busy weekend. I think I slept like, I don't know, four hours a night. Well, I can tell you, it, it's a good movie to go to sleep to. You're right. <laughs> I think I'd watch this one before I watched Army of the Dead again, so I'll just say that. Oh, really? Yeah. Not that good? It's about half an hour too long. I like Dave Bautista a lot, mm -hmm. um, and I think he's really coming into his own as an actor. I know this one, he gets to do, you know, some of the zombie hunting stuff or whatever, you know, and he's a big bad guy, just mm -hmm. like he is in the MCU and, and all that. But I think yeah, he but he's a really, funny. He's funny. He's but he funny also, in the MCU. Is he funny in that? This may be something you want to cut out. You know, no, I don't mind saying it here because I've had a few people ask me about this. And, and the reason why... Army of the Dead is something that's been in development for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And it's it's something that I remember referencing back during the mail order zombie days. That's how long it's been in the works. Oh, wow. Uh, and I remember Zack Snyder was attached to it back then, too. And, and if you look at the history of this film, it was developed for Zack Snyder. And then he got away from the project and somebody else was taking it over. And then he came back to it. And this was before the Snyder cut. But, you know, whatever. And... The, the history of it fascinates me. Plus, the whole thing was shot 
Then some information came out or some accusations came out about one of those actors who had a prominent role in the film doing some inappropriate things. Oh, so oh, really? they wanted to cut. Yeah, that's why Tig Notaro's in the film is that was originally somebody else. And all the footage was already shot and it was ready to roll. During quarantine, they set up for her to shoot her scenes by herself in front of a green screen to then incorporate her into the film that was already shot, which meant that she couldn't improvise. She had to get pretty much everything right according to how it was already performed and cut. Uh-huh. With the exception of like maybe one scene where she's with somebody else, she didn't meet any of the cast. But you couldn't tell watching the movie, and I was watching it for, from that point of view as well, thinking that's really neat. And if I didn't know... I wouldn't know, you know, you know, that was interesting. There's some neat ideas in it at the beginning, but you know, about an hour in, well, about half an hour into it. Isn't it like two and a half hours? It is. That's why I think it's too long. And about half an hour into it, I start thinking, okay, I've seen things like this before. It's been years since I've watched a contemporary zombie movie, mm -hmm. but I like Dave Bautista and so many people are talking about it. So I'm going to check it out. Zombie tiger looked neat. Oh, I saw the photo, yeah. Or a clip, yeah. You know, I can tell it's CG, but you always know these things are CG. Some, sometimes it was a real tiger, though, which was cool. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is they actually used one of Carol Baskin's tigers, you know, the woman, the, the villain, quote-unquote, from Tiger King. Oh, God. They used one of her tigers for it. Uh, <laughs> um, Would that be safe? Because from what I understand, they may um, maybe... Uh, I don't know. Like the cats and the corpse grinder, they have a taste for human flesh. I don't know, man. So I'm tying in corpse grinders to Tiger yeah. King. God, nerd points. Uh, there's a zombie <laughs> horse. It's got a lot of. It's got a strong whiff of ghosts of Mars. Really? Uh, there's a yeah. There's a little bit of ghosts of Mars to it. There's a whole bunch of. They call them references and homages. I call them retreads, and I'm not going to say ripoffs, but obviously. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, I think there's some interesting things in it, but it became very predictable. And even a lot of the cliches that we've come to question or maybe even dislike about modern zombie movies, about how long it takes somebody to turn once they're bitten, mm -hmm. being inconsistent. You know, if it's somebody who's got a bunch of lines in the movie, it's just going to take them a long time to turn. Yeah. Where if it's a smaller person, they just turn immediately. You know, that happens a couple of times in the movie. Uh, th there is one relationship, like a, a buddy relationship that happens throughout the film that I really enjoyed. And I wish had continued and, and actually made it all the way through to the end. Hmm. But there's a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of predictabilities in this movie. Uh, also, Zack Snyder can't leave his iTunes playlist alone for five minutes before bringing <laughs> something else in, which is the same thing that I give Quentin Tarantino grief about. Not personally. I don't know him, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Tarantino doesn't know how to use a film score uh, for the most part. And Zack Snyder did the same thing here up to and including playing the song zombie at the end of the film. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Huh. Uh, well, you yeah. know, I mean, what, what put me on the fence and thank you. Cause now I don't have to watch it is the godfather of the modern zombie, George Romero. His longest zombie movie, a little over two hours. Yeah. If you're pushing two and a half, you're doing something wrong. Well, <laughs> Unless you've got something to say, and I don't think 
from what I've seen of the clips, you know, the trailers and stuff. Yeah, I don't think there's anything to say in that one. I don't want to go into spoilers here because it's a newer movie. You just said you're going to watch it. And I don't want to ruin it. But there are some moments that happen in here that could have easily been excised. Mm-hmm. Easily. I know that they're trying to like, it's like, oh my God, that's happening too. No, cut it. You don't need it. You don't need any of this stuff. Just get rid of it. Ah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think some of it was interesting, but I'm not going to go back and rewatch it. If there's a score album available, I'll listen to the music again, because I always am always looking for new spooky music to play in the background. Oh, so there was a score. There is some from, score, yeah. but for the most part, opening credits is to some music and credits. My favorite piece of filmmaking by Zack Snyder. Boy, we are all we're, we're long past Lucha de Mayo. Oh, well. <laughs> My favorite piece of filmmaking from Zack Snyder is the opening credits from his version of The Watchmen. Because I, I really think he tells an interesting story about the history of that world over the course of some opening credits. And I know there's some popular music playing there and it's a lot of slow-mo. But I really like that moment. The rest of the movie, overly long, blah, 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 whatever you want to say. Yeah. But the opening credits is solid. And he does something similar in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, showing you know how the world got from point A to point Z <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the opening credits. And I thought, you know, I think he's really good at that. Well, Maybe he could make some awesome music videos. I don't know. <laughs> oh, boy, well, that sounded really awful. But, I'm, you know, but, you know, I just his opening credits are great. He's not so good about leaving a lot of Chekhov's guns around without firing them. Yeah. There's a lot of that in the film. Yeah. And again, it's, it's this montage way of telling history. You're doing an info dump without hitting somebody over the head with it and making it entertaining to watch. And I noticed this too. I think he does a lot of his own cinematography in mm-hmm. Army of the Dead. Oh. Which I found interesting that he did a lot of his own cinematography work. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just too long. Granted, I stayed up till like 4.30 in the morning watching it. So maybe that's why it felt long. But I, did, <laughs> I was ready for it to be over long before then and not because I wanted to go to bed because I knew I had this to look forward to. Well, and you got to watch a great silly movie afterwards. While you're falling asleep. It was worth it though, man. Because, you know, when you're, di- when you're going in and out of a movie, mm-hmm. it's just kind of, there's a point, at least for me, and I don't know if this works for everybody else who does this. And, and I've done this. We've been, we've been together when we've gone to a movie and I've kind of dozed off a little bit. And this was back from my, before my diabetes was completely diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know, I'd get a sugar spike and then a crash because I didn't know what was going on. I wasn't medicated and I would start to doze off in a film. And then when you start to wake back up, there's this moment that's kind of like a fever dream mm-hmm. where you don't know what's going on and all you have, the only sensory input you have is the movie that's playing in front of you, usually really loud and bright. Mm-hmm. And it gives this weird kind of hallucinatory, where am I and what just happened kind of vibe that you don't get from just waking up from a regular nap. Oh, no. And I had a lot of that during this movie, that the Lucha de Mayo, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Three Dev Adam, where I had no clue what was going on, but Santa was there. <laughs> <laughs> And Spider was yelling at me. Cool. <laughs> hey, you got lucky. I had that experience watching um, AM twelve hundred. Oh, yeah. Rem- wow. Remember when we showed the Lovecraft Film Festival? Yeah. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. working at five thirty in the morning, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Yeah. 
and going to the Lovecraft Film Festival. And everyone was like, this is this great movie. And I think you even commented on you know, You're falling asleep, man. Oh, dude. <laughs> it's well, and, Saturday. And, yeah. I, and, and you've done it. And I, I have to... I am so thankful that I've got friends like you who don't mind. Oh, no. <laughs> Give me a little nudge when I'm starting to doze off in King Kong. I've seen like four times on the big screen now, and I'm already exhausted, and my diabetes is crazy. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that, you know, that little nudge. But then, again, you wake up in the middle of AM 1200. I couldn't imagine. Oh, man, there was sometimes it's like, what the? Oh, oh, right, right. I'm at the Lovecraft. Right, okay. Yeah, it's that. this weird moment. I love. I mean, it's it's so disconcerting, but it's probably the closest I'll ever be to actually being in a movie. Yeah, like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, oh boy! Wow, we went off on a real tangent. <laughs> this is what. Ha- okay, I say this all the time. Monster kids get talking. We go off script. We start talking about other monster movies or whatever. You and I have the extra level of the fact that you're one of my dearest friends, man. So we're just kind of catching up. And then this happened. This is a conversation we would have had at a coffee shop with Dominique rolling her eyes every time we talk about a modern zombie movie, waiting for us to get up and go over to Powell's. Yeah. And this, this, this is Basically, what would happen. Basically, <laughs> that's what would happen. Yeah. You're right. You know, <laughs> shout out to Dominique. Oh, Miss definitely. <laughs> you know what? Let's go back old school real quick, then I'll let you go. Okay. Army of the Dead. Three headshots out of five. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I remember those. I don't have the sound effect anymore. I don't. I could probably recreate it, but I probably Okay, won't. hang on. Ping, ping, ping. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right. Well, go hey. Go get some sleep. <laughs> I will. Thank you for having me back on. It was my pleasure. That is an incredible motion picture. An entire town goes berserk when a giant underwater creature attacks all human life. That is a frightening experience. Don't miss that. Thunderbird International Pictures presents The Death Curse of Tartoon, a legend black with evil and red with the blood of innocent youth. Photographed in the forbidding depths of the Florida Everglades, this is the incredible story of an archaeological excursion planned as an educational adventure and ending as a blood-spattered nightmare of incarnate hallucinations. Cold and slimy creatures without mercy hunt and kill, controlled by the soul of a rotting corpse. They danced over the grave of Tartu, who was restless in his coffin, and made passionate love on his burial mound until... They faced the terrible reality of the death curse of Tartu. Was it really a killer shark in the swamp waters, or was it Tartu, who had sworn vengeance on all who disturbed his grave? If we sit here and wait, it's only a matter of time until Tartu will destroy us all. Thrill to the heart-stopping suspense of scenes that spare no detail of horror. See the bloody massacre of terrified youngsters as Tartu the Witch Doctor returns to wreak vengeance. See the death curse of Tartu coming soon to this theater. Yeah, I know that Chris and I kind of went way off the wow we were not talking about three dev adam for that long well i'll let you guys and gals in on a little secret let me peel back the monster curtain here 
So Chris and I ended up talking for another hour and a half after that about just all sorts of monster stuff, non-monster stuff. We just started gabbing. I don't know what got into us, but it happened. And uh, yeah, that was kind of the vibe that <laughs> you got with uh, me kind of talking about Army of the Dead for some reason or other. And these movies and what coming out of Wakali. Yeah, you know, I hope you uh, forgive my indulgences with that. Anyway, I want to thank everybody who contributed to Lucha de Mayo this year. There were a couple of people that didn't participate that we normally have participate. I'm looking at you, Frank Schildener and Dr. Tongue. And it's not because they did anything. I just wasn't able to schedule things the way that I normally like to schedule things in advance when it comes to these special event months or themes here on the podcast. So next year, we'll make it a point to get Dr. Tongue and Frank Schildener in. And there are some other people, too, whose names... I'm probably forgetting because once again, it is after midnight, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and I want to get the show done. So thank you to everybody who participated this year. I appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who supports the show, whether it's by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash monster kid radio or sharing the Patreon page or sharing the links, retweeting tweets, just letting people know about monster kid radio or by even sending in some feedback. I don't think I have any this time around, but if you want to do that, you can, you can call and leave a voicemail for monster kid radio at five zero three eight one zero five MKR. That's five zero three eight one zero. 5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Just saying, if you want to talk about Lucha de Mayo or anything else coming up in your neck of the woods, Monster Kid related, be happy to share that with folks too. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find everything you need to know about the podcast. Our contact information is over there, our show notes, links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. And those Amazon links, those Amazon affiliate links, super important that if you're going to buy anything on Amazon, whether it's what the button is for or not, please use one of those links to go over to Amazon to begin your Amazon shopping. Because by doing that, you stay within the Monster Kid Radio umbrella or shell over there at Amazon, and we still get a little bit of scratch, a little bit of kickback, because we're an Amazon affiliate, and every little bit helps. Really appreciate that. Plus, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we've got a t-shirt shop over at Public, And it's not just t-shirts. You've got journals, iPhone cases, jerseys, onesies, ladies t-shirts, just all sorts of cool stuff, magnets and stickers. Go over to tinyurl.com slash mkrt shirt or just look up Monster Kid Radio at tpublic.com and you'll find us. I try to put up a new design once or twice a week now. Not just logos and cover art from the podcast, but other stuff too. So please consider picking up a t-shirt plus Keep an eye out. Tee Public does sales a lot. So you might be able to pick yourself up a t-shirt for 13 bucks. And by doing that, we get like two bucks a shirt. So again, you're helping out the podcast. Just lots of ways you can help support the show. But the most important way is just by listening. Thank you for being here. I appreciate all of you. This Saturday, Monster Kid Movie Club. It's going at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio or monsterkidmovie.club. We are doing horror hosts this weekend. Now, the movies are going to be kind of all over the map. we got a silent film, a film from the 70s. We've got a Samson film. You want to keep the uh, Lucha de Mayo vibe going. We've got Samson in the Wax Museum coming up. So we've got the horror hosts, Lord Blood Raw, Penny Dreadful, 
Marlena Midnight, and Dr. Drek all contributing segments to this upcoming weekend's horror host of fun, I guess you'd call it, at the Monster Kid Movie Club. The pre-show starts at 11 a.m. And check it out. Scott Morris is back on the case. He's been taking a little bit of a break, but he is back and he's prepared a really cool pre-show. I think you guys and gals are going to dig that. Since Scott's back, you know his wife Tracy is back, which means Stuffed with Character is back. There's a new giveaway coming from Stuffed with Character. That's going to be really cool, too. The only way you can win a Stuffed with Character... Um, character is by joining us at the monster kid movie club looking forward to see you there 11 a.m for the pre-show the movie start at noon pacific time we do something similar on tuesday the monster kid astronomy club and honestly i don't know what we're showing there yet but something will be shown at 3 30 p.m the pre-show starts the movies start around four o'clock and then at 8 p.m jeff pullier and i do a little bit of a star trek talk in a segment that we are going to finally start calling star trek uh, talk time. Yeah, it's kind of grown on me. Anyway, make sure you join us there. We've got a lot of things going on all over the internet. We have a Reddit, we have a Discord, Facebook group, Facebook page, Twitter. We're all over the place, and we'd love to see you get involved with at least one of these platforms, if not more than one, or just, you know, pop in. Say, hey, we like meeting our fellow monster kids online. Next week on the show, I'm not 100% sure yet. I've got a couple of different options. Stay tuned. I'll announce it first on Facebook, and I'll try to make sure I announce it at monsterkidradio.net when I know what it's going to be. So stay tuned for that. Between now and then, though, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song El Santo, the Silver Masked Avenger. That is copyright, the Nick Adams. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. And for the last time this year, since it's the last week of Lucha de Mayo, Adios. Buenas noches. ¿Dónde está mi perrito? No está mi mano. Está mi carro. Bring it to the OP.
mighty Santa Fight all the evil thugs He looked to the children And checked the big old jugs Big old jugs? Wearing a silver mask And driving a cool car And fighting monsters? Could that be the life for me? I wish I could be Just like a Santa Just like a Santa